So this morning, we're looking at Acts chapter 7. We're starting at verse 51 till the end. Acts 7, 51 to the end. You'll find it on the screen behind me, in front of you. If you've got it with you, follow along that way. Um, before, we, before we pray and, and read, uh, just we're, we're sort of jumping into the end of uh, the story about a guy named Stephen. Um, and so let me, let me give you a little, a little bit of the, the lead-up to what we're about to talk about uh, this morning. Stephen uh, was a guy who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was doing amazing things. Um, so God was sort of doing, in this group of people called the People of the Way, which is the early church, uh, some people rose to leadership levels, and they were doing some amazing things. Uh, and Luke, who wrote Acts, tells us that Stephen is one of these people. Uh, now, there were some religious elite, some, some of the, the, the religious leaders of the day saw the things that um, Stephen was doing, and for whatever reason, they were threatened by it. And so they, they trumped up these charges of blasphemy against him and brought him to the highest level, the Sanhedrin uh, of religious authorities. Uh, those religious authorities said, hey, Stephen, is this true? Uh, and then he goes, on, he, he goes on this rant, which is really good and beautiful, and he does it in a gracious way. It's not like until we get to what we're about to read. Anyway, he starts talking about the leaders that, that God has given the people of Israel, people like Abraham, people like Moses and Jacob, and on and on and on. So he's telling them about these leaders and how often these leaders, these prophets, would, uh, would, would come up to some resistance from the people of God. Uh, and so he, he gives all of these examples, and then he gets to what we're, we're about to read. So before we, get, before we read it, let's pray together. God, thank you for this time where uh, we, can, we can listen to your voice. We can, read, we can read this book and trust that your spirit is here and that through the words that are spoken, through the words from these scriptures, that you, spirit, you speak to us. And we ask that you'd open our hearts and minds so that we can hear your voice and so that we can be open to whatever it is you want to do in us and through us. So speak to us, for your servants are listening. Amen. So he gets to the end of this speech where he's like, see all these prophets and the people of Israel didn't listen to them. And, and then he goes like this, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who, pre who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Kind of a sobering story. The first Christian martyr right there. That's the story. So it's official. Um, hard to believe. Uh, I'm still trying to come to terms with it myself. Uh, but I am now old enough to have a child who is visiting colleges. That makes me feel old. And he's starting to, to think about, Samuel, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, so sorry. Um, he's starting to think about majors and what he wants to do with his life. And, and as, as we're sort of walking with him through this, it's, it's becoming clear to me that this is totally unfair. Like, this is a total, this is an, he's trying to, at 17 years old, almost 18, to try to figure out the trajectory of his entire life at that age is nearly impossible, and it's mean that we do this to them, but you still have to do it. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Like, I remember when I was in college, guidance counselors would, would give us the advice when we're thinking about our majors and we're thinking about what colleges we were supposed to go to. They were, they were telling us, you just find something you're passionate about and then just go with it, right? Just find a college you can be passionate about, find a major you can be passionate about, and, and just go with it. And then when we get to college, we have these older people who are wiser than us. What? There's older, there's people when you're in college who mentor you, right? And they tell us, hey, you know, if you want to enjoy your job, if you, want to be if you want to be fulfilled in what you're doing, just find something you're passionate about and go with it, right? And so you try. You try to find something you're passionate about and you go with it. And I remember in seminary when my advisor told me, hey, you're looking for a job now. You're, near, you're nearing the end. Uh, just find a church that seems to be passionate about the same things you're passionate about, and then go with it. Passion, it's such an interesting word, isn't it? It's an interesting idea. How do you define passion? Can you define passion? You can look it up in the dictionary, but really, passion seems to be something that it takes more than just a definition, right? You have to sort of describe it. And when you describe passion, you kind of, you almost have to get, you have to get poetic, about it. You can't just, here's the definition, go with it. I think you have to get poetic about it. And one of the, one of the, the best places, I think, that I've found, at least in the scriptures, of talking about passion uh, inside of you comes from the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was intensely passionate about speaking, about speaking the truth about injustice in the world. And he described his passion like this, within me, there is something like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary holding it in. And I cannot. That describes passion pretty well, right? 
a burning shut up in your bones, a fire so hot, so intense, it's raging so strongly, it's so enormous that it would be impossible to keep in. Sounds like a pretty good description of passion, right? The reason I bring that up is because there is a whole lot of passion happening in this story this morning. I mean, you can hear the passion in Stephen's voice, right? Listen to what he says. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. He's like, look, God is up to something new. The Spirit is moving and you're resisting it. He's like, pay attention. You can see the passion in the people, in the actions of the crowd. When they heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. They covered their ears, yelling at the top of their lungs. They all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. So on the one hand, you've got the passion of Stephen, his well, his sort of well-directed passion. He wanted nothing more than for these religious people to understand who Jesus is and who Jesus was and what Jesus had come to do. God was up to something new in Jesus. And he's like, I just want you to know about it. Pay attention. And then on the other hand, we have the religious experts, the religious elite, right? They, they have their sort of misdirected passion. To them, Jesus had been a threat. And so what they do with Jesus, the threat, they had him killed. And now here's Stephen, an extension of the Jesus threat. And instead of, instead of engaging him in relationship, to try to sort of bring him back, well, their misdirected passion caused them to just rid the earth of him. Passion can be like that if we're not careful. If we're not careful, the fire shut up in our bones can become so hot, so intense, so enormous, it can rage so strongly that we can't contain it. And sometimes when it gets to that point, it, it gets released without warning. And instead of getting the outcome we want, we wind up hurting ourselves. We wind up, we wind up hurting other people. So this morning, we're going to talk about the passion that Stephen shows. Right? It's, not simply, it's not simply this passion that's unbridled, this passion that's, that's out of control. There's certainly a burning hot thing inside of him, and it's coming out, but it's this passion that's, that's linked to his faith, in Jesus. So we could think of it as passionate faith. So I want to say a few things about it. So passionate faith seems to be an absolute trust in God, an absolute trust in God that no matter what's happening around us, God's got this. No matter how badly the world seems to be spinning out of control, it's going to be okay. God's with us. God's on our side. So just before what we read this morning, just before the crowd got so furious at Stephen and picked up their stones and, and sent him to an early death, he said something that I think is important for us to listen to. He said this. This is just a few verses earlier. He said, The Most High does not live in houses made by people. And then he quotes, one of the prophets quotes God saying through one of the prophets, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? God says that. 
Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house are you going to build for me? In other words, God can't be contained. You cannot contain God. God is much, much too big to be contained. God's presence spans from heaven and earth, with which if I got my cosmology right, I don't know if I do, that means the whole universe. God's presence is everywhere. What kind of house are you going to build for me? God says. I think it happens all too much, all too often, that we, we worship a God of our, of our own making rather than the God who made heaven and earth. Like we talked about on Wednesday, if you were here, you'll remember that. Pete N said something like, like this, Sometimes we think our thoughts about God are the real thing. Well, what if some of our thoughts about God aren't who God actually is? Sometimes we wind up worshiping a God of our own making rather than the God of the universe. Isn't that what happens? Isn't that what most of the religious conflicts around the world really are? Like the one we saw, this is a religious conflict that we saw in our story this morning. There's some butting heads there. We see it in the church all the time. Like people disagree about about who God is and what God is up to, and it it causes religious infighting, and sometimes it causes splits, and people part ways, and relationships are gone, they're done, they're, they're ruined. Like each side is unswervingly convinced that God is on their side, and the opponent is just making a mess of things happens all the time. Stephen was, teaching that the great, the, Stephen was teaching about the grace of God that was embodied in the person of Jesus. The kind of grace that brings freedom. Right? But the religious elite, the Pharisees, kept God locked up in a bunch of traditions and rules. And they were like, you have to follow these things, these traditions, in order for God to save us. Like, we have to do it to the letter of the law. Perfection was their aim. Follow the rules. Be perfect. But friends, God is above all of that. God doesn't dwell in the houses that we create. And listen to this. God doesn't dwell in the theological houses we build for ourselves. God doesn't dwell in the social, moral houses that we build for ourselves. We can't contain God. God is on the throne. We are not. A passionate faith recognizes that we'll always be flawed. That we'll always be be imperfect. That we're not always going to have everything just right compared to God. We can't. We can't be perfect, but a passionate faith is an absolute trust that God loves us, will protect us, even in our imperfection. Here's the second thing. A passionate faith is a sacrificial faith. So I think this story is is amazing. Here's Stephen, a faithful follower of Jesus, trying his best to live in love like Jesus. He's just trying his best. Here's Stephen, attacked by a crowd, dragged out into the streets, 
stoned to death, and he doesn't fight back. Where is his passion, we might ask? Like, if you're so passionate about this, and they're coming at you, why don't you defend yourself? Well, I think his passion's there. It just looks differently than what we're used to seeing. Maybe he actually heard some of the things that Jesus taught and decided to live into them. Do not violently resist an evil person. Instead, when they strike you on one cheek, turn to them the other. And when the rocks then begin to fly, all he does, all he does is repeat the words of Jesus from the cross. Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He lets himself go. He sacrifices himself. Now here's, what, here's what's interesting. Our word passion comes from the Latin word that actually means to suffer. That's why the movie The Passion of the Christ is called The Passion of the Christ because it's like this, this brutal depiction of the suffering of Jesus. It's all about the passion of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus. So passion means to suffer. A passionate faith is a suffering, sacrificial faith. A willingness to to suffer for others. It's a willingness to, to make sacrifices for the good of others. It's a willingness to to lay down and let go of your own life, your own selfish desires, so that other people might get what they need and have the ability to live a flourishing life. Right? So Stephen had a passionate faith. He could die because he was already sacrificing his life for others. When he got to that point in his life, it was a pattern he had already lived into, so it just felt right and made sense. If you flip back to chapter 6, we find out just a little bit more about Stephen. This is what it says. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so the people of the way, the, the early church was growing, right? the Grecian Jews among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews. So we got, some, we got some cultural conflict happening here from people who are now, have now given their lives to Jesus. So the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So what do they do? Well, if you read on, they choose seven people who would become the first what we call deacons in the church today. They chose seven people to take care of this problem, to make sure that all of the widows had enough to eat. Not just the Jewish widows, but the Greek widows as well. And if you look at the list of seven they chose, can you guess who's the first name on the list? It's Stephen. It's Stephen. It says this. And and Luke gives him a little extra. Like the rest of the names are just, eh, just listed. Here are the other people. But Stephen is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So he had already given himself in this sacrificial, passionate faith. He'd already given to himself to the working for those in the community who didn't have enough to eat. He was making sure that people had what they needed. A passionate faith is a sacrificial faith. And we all know how hard this is. We all know how hard this is, if we're honest about it. Because 
do, do we enjoy making sacrifices? This like this like this is a fun thing to do. I'm going to give up a whole bunch of stuff so that other people can live flourishing lives. Right? It's a hard thing to do. Who likes to make sacrifices? Right? And it's hard because we're taught to fight for what we want. You got to go get it. If you want something, go get it. If you really want something, go fight for it, right? Okay, anybody notice there's like political stuff happening in the world? Like, have you, have you noticed that? Like the midterm elections are coming up. Ooh, and we're getting, we're getting all sorts of really awesome commercials now. Have you noticed ads? I'm getting, I'm getting ads for people in Nebraska. What, this dude named Don Bacon? I don't know who that is, but I listened to the ads about him. Apparently, he's not very good. But if you listen, I don't know anything. Sorry, Don. Um, but but what, do, what do those ads all say? What do they do? All the, pe- all the people who are making these ads, they're, they're saying, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. That's the bottom. They'll even say it. I will fight for you. It depends on who you is, actually. I will fight for you. They all say that in some way or another because they love, they know that we love hearing that. That someone is going to fight for us. And maybe that's the problem right now. Is everybody's fighting everybody else instead of people actually making sacrifices for one another so that we all have what we need to live flourishing lives. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm not going to vote for anybody who says they're going to fight for me because I don't want them to fight. Let's figure out a way to make sacrifices for each other. We all know this is the way the world works, right? I mean, if you just look at the way creation was made, God designed it to be in re- everything to be in relationship with everything else giving, taking, receiving, giving, offering, so that the whole thing can flourish. That's what, the, that's what creation is. That's what creation does. That's how God made it to be. A, sacri- a passionate faith is a sacrificial faith, giving yourself away. And we all know that this is true. Like, as a parent, you have to make all kinds of sacrifices in order to, to spend to spend time with your kids to give them the kind of love and attention that they deserve in order for them to become who they're meant to be. As a spouse, you have, to, you have to give up all sorts of things. You have to make all sorts of sacrifices in order for your spouse to have exactly what they need to live a flourishing life. To be a follower of Jesus in school. I remember that. That's not easy. Sometimes you have to sacrifice. Back then we called it being cool. Sometimes you have to sacrifice being one of the popular kids, being in, in that crowd in order for you to, to live a life that honors God. Right? To be a follower of Jesus in church today, for us, it might mean that we have to, that we have to accept different ways of being church. That may, it may be that we have to come up with new and inventive ways of being the church so that the younger generation doesn't just walk out the door. It might mean that. We have to sacrifice. To be a follower of Jesus in church means that we all have to sacrifice our time, our resources, in order for us to become who God wants us to be in this world. And for any congregation, 
for any church to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it means that congregation is going to have to give up some things for the benefit of the community that surrounds us. I mean, you get it. We know all this stuff. We know this. A passionate faith is a sacrificial faith. Here's the last thing I want to say. A passionate faith is also a forgiving faith. It's a, it's a forgiving faith. I mean, did you notice how Stephen spends his last breath? His last breath. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's the last thing he said. He's dying. After that, he fell asleep for good. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, he's echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? He forgives. I think this is stunning. It's stunning because there's, there's this idea that's inherent in this idea of forgiveness. It isn't just... God, forgive them for the guilt they're going to feel for taking someone's life. No, no, no. Inherent is in his request to God is that God would go a step further and that God would, would bless them. Don't hold this sin against them. It's almost as if he's saying, God, don't let go of these people. Don't let go of them. They keep coming after them, God. Keep loving them. They don't understand what they're doing now, but if you continue to pursue them, if you continue to come after them day after day after day, maybe eventually they'll get it. His words constitute a prayer for his enemies. When's the last time we prayed for our enemies? When's the last time we prayed for those who have hurt us, When's the last time we wished them well? When's the last time we asked God to bless them? Oh my goodness, this is hard. This stinks. I don't want any of this. Like when someone's, when someone's hurt you or broke their relationship with you. It's hard enough saying, it's okay, don't feel bad. I forgive you. But a but a forgiving faith, a passionately forgiving faith goes further. A forgiving faith actually desires their, their blessing. Maybe even puts forth some effort in order to bless. And sometimes that feels impossible. Sometimes it takes time to get there. But if we live into this, transformation happens. New life happens. Resurrection becomes a possibility. So Stephen was the first martyr. Literally had his blood spilt for his faith in Jesus. A guy named Tertullian, who lived about 200 years after Stephen, said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, this sort of forgiving faith 
is transformative. <coughs> Let me tell you why. There's this, there's this other line at the end of it, right, about people throwing their cloaks at the feet of this guy named Saul. It's like, why did Luke just throw that in there? It like seems out of place in the story. The witnesses were throwing their cloaks at the, at the feet of, of Saul. Saul became this famous persecutor of the church, right? Rounding up all kinds of Jesus people and throwing them in jail. He would later have an encounter with Jesus that transformed his life. And he later changed his name to Paul. Paul would then go on to be, Paul would go on to be the greatest church planter ever in the history of ever. And Paul would go on to write most of the New Testament Right? So that's the guy who was standing there, who was standing there nodding in approval as Stephen was stoned to death. That guy was there, and he witnessed, saw the radical forgiveness offered by Stephen. And I can't help but wonder if later on in the life of Paul, I can't help but wonder if he would have remembered that day and went, I missed it. That's the real deal. And I can't help but wonder if that, if that memory didn't have something to do with his own transformation. Passionate faith. Passionate faith is this absolute trust in God that, you know what, in spite of what's going on in the world around us, in spite of religious bickering that we have, happening in the world, in spite of things seemingly falling apart, it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Like God's got this. A passionate faith is, is a sacrificial faith. It's one where we, where we begin to realize that none of us is the center of the universe. And we're all part of this big human family. And in order for all of us to get what we need, we have to sacrifice for one another. We have to give up our own lives in order for others to flourish. And there's this, there's this, a passionate faith is this radical forgiving faith, radically forgiving faith. And this one I think is the hardest one because there are people in my life I don't want to forgive. I don't. I just don't. But the only way for resurrection to happen, for transformation to happen, is for me to actually get to the place by the power of the Spirit for all of us to get to that place by the power of the Spirit where we actually forgive those who have wronged us and work towards their flourishing. Oh, this is a hard faith. This is an easy faith. This is a hard faith. It's the faith that we've been given and it's the only kind of faith that I think will transform the world. Let's pray.